Welcome to the Neuro Network. I'm Nick, neuroscientist, physiologist out in Seattle. And today I have the lovely pleasure of having a very exciting guest with me today, Ben Armstrong of Netherworld. Hello. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. So Netherworld is obviously a very successful haunted house, but you, you actually have a lot of other endeavors through Netherworld. Is that correct? With like escape games and all these other sort of things you have going on? Absolutely. I mean, we've, uh, this is now going to be our 27th year of Netherworld. Uh, and people think it's just a seasonal thing, but we work at it year round. Um, and we've gone through different sorts of, uh, you know, aspects for our business over time. Um, for years, we didn't want to do escape games and things like that because our old location really couldn't handle it. But our current location, when we purchased the building, it had tons of rooms in it. It was perfectly set up for escape games. So we currently have four escape games and we're about to add a fifth. And we also have a uh, monster museum. Uh, we rent props to films. So we're involved in all kinds of uh, spooky activities. An entire production of horror Indeed. and fear, <laughs> which is exciting because, you know, when I, when I obviously with my sister being very much involved with the business of, of haunting as well, it was sort of growing up, there was always the monster running around the house trying to scare you in the middle of the night, especially when she... <laughs> I can fully imagine. Yeah, especially, you know, in high school, you come home and, you know, you sneak in late at night and suddenly there's this monster that's standing in the driveway behind you. And, you know, it uh, certainly elicits a little bit of a response that uh, checks the the integrity of your underpants. That's for sure. <laughs> but but what I never, never appreciated was the fact that it's an entire year round production. It's not just this little, you know, uh, thing that occurs during the October Halloween season, but you do it completely year round. And as far as like setting up and, and creating the entire experience, right? Absolutely. Um, my background previously was in television and uh, I did many things in television. I was a late night horror show host of all things as well. Dr. But Speculo, about, right? Yeah. Dr. Speculo. That's it. But about 20 years ago, I quit that day job and I've been doing the haunted house full time ever since. So yeah, we're open, I don't know, between 32 and 36 nights a year with the attraction, but it's a year-round endeavor. We have as many as 20 people working year-round on it, and seasonally, we might hire as many as 500 people to work there. So it's a, a major endeavor, and a lot of it is, you know, we change a lot, and there's a lot of things about the way we approach the business, I think, have led to our success. And one of them is that fact that we change. Um, we always have new themes every year. Uh, I view it as sort of like the sequel to a movie. You want to have all the essence of what was there previously, but you want to add something new. And uh, so that's a big part of it. And it requires that staff to carry that off. So how is it like, so when you're coming up with new themes to, to scare people, is there a certain process that you go through to understand, you know, this is going to be scary, but it's going to be scary enough that people are going to want to go through it, but it's not going to be so scary that, you know, people aren't going to enjoy the experience or is there any sort of systematic like approach that you take? It's interesting. Um, this sort of, you know, philosophical questioning as to how you approach it. It's actually something that uh, I think about a lot. Um, we're about to go to our trade show which is the, uh, the Halloween and attraction show in St. Louis next week. And I'm actually teaching 
five seminars and some of them delve into these sorts of things and everyone has different sorts of philosophies about it. Um, to me, it li literally, literally is scares first or gags first. So when I'm coming up with a room, it may be, let's say it's a dining room or something like that. But to me, more critical than making it look like a dining room is what's going to happen once you enter that room. Because you need to design it with a thought. You're setting it up for the actor to be in that room and to enhance their ability to scare the patron. Because we love detail, we love special effects, all these things. But most patrons, at a basic level, they're going to a haunted house to get scared. And so that's one of the most critical things you look at. Which is, which is funny because you know being scared is almost an innate response to avoidance in most mammals, in, in most animals in particular. But yet something I, something in humans triggers us that there's this uh, this urge for entertainment out of scaring. And I was I was going through some of the the psychology experiments on it because there's not a whole lot about the actual underlying neurocircuitry other than basal activation of your amygdala and you know your fear response which is you know we can talk about a little bit is is actually the basis for a lot of memory experiments that we do um but there was a, a systematic one that was looking at the heart rate responses in different haunted houses and looking at how the essentially the activation of sympathetic or, or fight or flight response in individuals correlated with the amount of self-reported um scare you know of the haunted house or the whatever metric they had to to say how scary it was and it, it formed like a perfect u-shaped phenomenon where if the haunted house wasn't scary enough there really wasn't much response and there was no enjoyment out of the process and then there was that their fine middle ground where they were scared it got just enough activation where you know they had the, the fight or flight type of response that i'm in some sort of danger perhaps or i have a perceived danger and then it got to the extreme where they were so scared that the only thing that they could think of was just getting the hell out of there. <laughs> and then there was like minimal enjoyment whatsoever from the haunted house. And so that's why I was just, I was kind of curious as uh, you know, it's, it's always a, a balance, especially, you know, when I've gone through haunted houses, it's, it's certainly there's good ones and there's bad ones, but, but when you're creating the fear itself, it's a lot more than just startling people, right? Well, <clears throat> there's a, there, like I said, there's a lot to it, and the thing is, everyone is different. Um, one of the things that we've learned when you're dealing with people going to a haunted house, you're not dealing with an individual, you're dealing with a group, and they all take roles in this process. There's the ringleader, and the ringleader brings these people together. Uh, there's the offering, that's the one that's pushed forward <laughs> to draw, that's screaming. <laughs> There's the offerer that's pushing them forward. There's the brave one. There's all these different sorts of characters in, in the group, and they all have different kinds of ways that they're going to react to the experience. Some people want to get scared. Some people want not to get scared. Some people want to see their friends get scared. Some people just want to look at to be immersed in the environment, and they won't get scared. So it's complex. It's entertainment, and we entertain by being scared, but really it varies between individuals exactly what they want. It's like a meal. You know, some people like different flavors. And uh, I guess the meat and potatoes of the haunted house would be the shock scare, the sudden loud sound, the sudden motion, the sudden appearance of something visually terrifying. 
And one of the things we go through, I try, I think of our haunted house as like a PG-13 because I'd rather, a lot more people go see the Avengers than go see an R-rated movie. So we want something for everyone. And the best response to me is when someone screams, leaps back, falls on the ground, and they go, oh, you got me. And then a smile comes over their face. Now, if you you know, drive them down into a state of absolute terror, they, they wet their pants, they're actually embarrassed in front of their friends, you're actually creating an event that is not fun. So you've taken it too far. Um, of course, there are people on the edge of the envelope that crave that level. But most people, they want to scream, laugh, create memories with their families. So it's a certain level of it. Um, of course, there's always the dread. There's people waiting in that line. It's like waiting to go up the hill to a roller coaster. You know, There's all that kind of thing. There's all that dread. And as you're going through, you know, okay, it's coming, but you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. But you know everything is, is coming at you. Netherworld is a little different from a lot of haunts because we have a very large, a lot of people come through all at once. So it kind of ceases to become a horror movie. It becomes more like an action movie. We're like banging you on the head with a hammer constantly. So, you know, you're way overstimulated, but sometimes there's not that lull, you know, in a quiet room or in your driveway, you know, when you're not expecting it, one hit can be very powerful. But by the time people get out of Netherworld, they're literally like, oh, Oh, they're exhausted. They've had so much overstimulation. You know, it's like watching a movie with car crashes and stuff like that happening constantly. But we have to do it that way because you can't just, if we, if we had long gaps between startles because of the amount of people, it would get boring. So, uh, yeah, definitely shock scares are the main, the main focus. Oh, that's interesting. And does it, does it play into, um, the timeline throughout the haunted house as you're going through, do you have to like towards the end, does the, does the shock and awe have to be magnified exponentially compared to what it was in the beginning? Like, is there any sort of that thing that has to go on? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, other forms of entertainment. It's like a movie or something like that. You know, you want to, you want to start big and you want to end big and you got to have peaks and valleys in the middle. Uh, you definitely want to build to a crescendo at the end. And ironically, the thing at the end is the chainsaw. And uh, you've got to have a chainsaw. There's always begin, the chainsaw. Well, we began Netherworld. We're like, oh, you know, we're a high concept. We're not going to have a chainsaw. And, you know, about three or four nights in, we're like, let's go get a chainsaw. Because, <laughs> you know, I have a million of these. But I like to say, give them what they want and give them what you want. So they go to a haunted house, they expect certain things to happen. And at the end, they expect a chainsaw. If they don't get one, they're going to be disappointed. But you got to give them what you want. The craziest, most twisted things that come out of your mind and your staff's minds. Uh, amazing things they've never seen before. So like, wow, it was dark. People jumped out. They scared me. All these things happened. I expect in a haunted house. But then, oh my God, there was a giant blob that flew through the air that was 10 feet across that smashed into me. Now, I've never seen that before, but that I'll remember. And that's what makes a specific haunted house different is that it has something that's a little different from the others. And that's one of the things we focus on. Yeah. So what I was wondering, though, is um, the anticipation aspect of being scared. You know, in, in some of the classic 
psychology experiments that they did with babies is sort of like a, a blank slate template type of thing. You know, when, when I've talked about it a few episodes ago, when they're longing for their mother, if they're separated from their mothers, they'll start to cry, right? Because they just, they feel helpless. Um, but when the, the presence of the mother is actually sensed, the crying will intensify until it's soothed. And so almost the anticipation, but, but the having the lack of whatever it is that they're looking for can make it even worse for their response. And similarly, you know, I find when I'm going through haunted houses, it's those, those periods where you're walking down this hall and you have no idea what's going to come, but you know, something is going to come and it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, yeah. And then all of a sudden you, you get the, uh, the scare and you go, ah, and it was more of like, um, you know, it almost makes it enjoyable because then you've satisfied what you were expecting to happen. And, um, you know, I've had a weird feeling in, in a few of haunted houses that I know that I've gone through when it's just like a local charity that puts it on in, in like a gymnasium or something like that. And they're not necessarily as, you know, well structured as, as some of the major productions. And you'll have those periods and then there won't be any actors just because they don't have that many people working there. <laughs> and you leave and you just sort of feel unsettled you're like this Mm -hmm. is kind of creepy like i never had the the finish to what i was expecting to actually happen (laughs) and uh so i find that that aspect of it kind of uh kind of fascinating at least when it comes to that so definitely they want that they do want that thrill and uh that's what they crave and sometimes i feel like you know we're in this sort of a i don't know like a weird play where we're all taking on roles um, many times, like you mentioned, the, the fight or flight response, it's almost like you're becoming prey and you're like a deer and you're in the woods and you, you have that thing where you need, must avoid the, the predator and the haunt actors are playing the role of a predator. You're, li- you're, li- you're literally lurking there. You're selecting your victim. You're waiting for the moment and for the haunt actor. There's, there's payoff as well. I mean, they des- they get a big you know burst of what endorphins or whatever it is when they successfully scare someone and the person shrieks in terror, falls on the ground, runs away from them. They have this huge wave of success. So it's a commensal relationship when this happens. And I, I actually still act in the haunted house quite a bit. It, it varies year to year. As we've grown, there's less time because I have more duties. But when everything's going right, I like to go in there and act. And you do this a lot and then like the season ends and it's November and you're in Target and you're like, you start stalking people. You're like, wait, what's wrong with me? I'm about to like <laughs> scare this lady and her children, you know, because you've got into this mode of being the predator. But I think it, that's part of it. It's, it's, it's something primal for sure. And it's also that whole rite of passage concept of, you know, going in the dark cave, you know, like, uh, you know, um, it, it's been written about by so many uh, people people in folklore and legends and history. It's, it's the hero's journey. It's all that stuff bottled into one. So there, there's a lot going on with people seeking that type of entertainment. Yeah. And, and I never thought of it necessarily as the prey and predators. So that's kind of funny, but it's um, when, you know, when we, we look at some fear responses in rodents, for example, for neuroscience studies, one of the tests that you can use to scare a mouse is you can you can put the mouse in the cage and then you can play a video of a hawk lurking above it. 
And oh, my. You can look how activation of it, you know, versus um, a normal fear conditioning response, which is where you give like a, a tone and then you shock them. Um, whereas, you know, in a haunted house situation, you can't necessarily just shock the people. Although, who knows? Some people maybe. do. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Just put some shock collars on everybody as they come yep. through, and then, and then uh, just you, you can uh, you can run a test where you you know in the beginning of the haunted house you you. you put up a sound and then you shock everybody. And by the end, all it takes is the sound. You don't need the shock anymore and just see them jumping around. But I'm sure uh, that would be an insurance nightmare, but. Well, there's actually a few people who are studying um, sort of this sort, this sort of thing. Um, I was working on a project uh, uh, kind of in the summer and it'll come out eventually here, but we had a particular uh a guy was studying fear, and he had actually gone to different haunted attractions. He'd work with some, I think they were like in Holland or something, and he'd also worked with the folks at Erebus, which is in Detroit. And he had actually hooked up uh, brainwave monitors onto the people going through the attraction uh, to kind of see what happens to them when they get scared. And additionally, he's been hooking up the same sort of monitors to some of the actors to see how they are, what is going on with their brainwaves when they do this. Um, the guy's name is Colton Scrivener. I'll uh, forward you his information if you're interested in following up with him. Oh, but, interesting. Uh, he, he was very, he's been studying that. And there's there's a several, there's a couple other people that I know of that are studying, you know. I think, I don't know they're coming at it from the direction of the, uh, as deep into the science of it as, say, you, you're, people in your field would, but they're more from the psychological aspects of it more so. But I mean, they are looking at physical response and what exactly is going on there. Wow. Interesting. I heard from, uh, through the grapevine that you were toying around the idea of fear pheromones. Oh my. <laughs> That's a funny story. So I have a wacky cousin. This guy is uh, he's, he's a really awesome guy, but, uh, Anyway, you know, he went off to India to learn to play the sitar when he was younger. He he became an import exporter from China and he made a lot of money. And now he's sort of retired, even though he's quite young. He just lives off his uh, earnings. But uh, he came by the attraction a number of years ago and uh, he was fascinated by it. And he was just like, this is a thing. This is this is crazy. And he was looking around. So anyway, he reached out to me and he was like, uh, hey, if if he. I would fund this thing if, if you would use it. I'm like, well, what is it? He said, I would go to China and I would have all these people. I would have all these people and I would collect their sweat. And then I would condition them and terrify them and, and get collect the sweat. And we would study this. And I think we could decant something that's a pheromone that would work and you could use it. And I was like, initially I was like, oh, that sounds like an interesting idea. And, uh, and I told a bunch of my buddies about it, and they're like, yeah, we'd be in. This would be great. And then I was talking to my business partner, and we're thinking about it. I'm like, do we really want to spray an unknown chemical from China on unsuspecting <laughs> patrons who are already legitimately terrified? And we said, no, I think we'll pass. Yeah. Now, we've, we've also experimented with sound um, with ultra-low frequencies to create oh, a, a response. Um, there's, there's a lot of talk about things like that that would have effect, and we actually had aimed this generator of this low wave frequency at the front door of our attraction. And uh, the net result was, you know, people weren't exposed to it for a long time. When you do that, your staff is. And I think 
in, you know, it actually, our doorman got into a big argument with one of our lot actors right at the door. And I was like, you know, once again, perhaps what we're doing is sufficient. We don't need to go too far with people. You know, they're already scared. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's been people thinking about that stuff for sure. Yeah. I, well, I found it, I found it funny because, um, in human, so the the pheromones are typically sensed by a, a vomeral nasal organ, is what it's called, and um, it's it has a very strong response in like dogs and cats. And you know, whenever you see cats like kind of flick up their 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 cheeks up, that's funneling the the sense down into there. And when you see goats or horses like flip up their upper lip, it's called the flame and response, which is how they get the pheromones to be shuttled into that organ. But in humans, it's debated. And there's there's really not much good evidence to suggest that we even have vomeral nasal organs that are there or functional anymore. And so I laughed because um, if you if you pumped the pheromones into the air, you know, for a bunch of humans, then the only thing that theoretically it would scare would be if any dogs or undulates <laughs> like goats or sheep or anything went through the haunted house, they would be terrified <laughs> We're so, we're so as humans, so fixated on vision and sound, you know, I think they're all, and that's the thing. If these exist, they're already there. You know, hundreds, thousands of people are going through these haunted houses. So if in fact we're generating a fear pheromone, I would say it's already present. So it's probably unnecessary to try, but. Oh yeah, that's true. The, the sounds of screaming it is amazing. Um, I mean, there's people who would come into the haunted house and they're like, man, that's a great soundtrack you're playing. I'm like, no, that's not the soundtrack. That is just hundreds and hundreds of people screaming. And it just, you know, in a warehouse setting, it just echoes everywhere. And when you go in the haunted house and everything is turned on and it's a noisy haunted house, it's very loud, you know, subwoofers and deep guttural sounds booming and all these different things. But without people in it, it sounds quiet because you don't have that screaming. So that's that. I think the sound is a huge portion of it, and of course the visuals. And that's that's what we focus on. Uh, we also focus on the tactile. I mean, we will uh, we do a lot of surfaces you move across, like you know, kind of plates with sponges on them, and <clears throat> and and I'll take uh, like pavers and I'll put screws under them so they creak and rock, so you're feeling slightly unsteady. And that's the thing, too, all the tricks to distract you, to confuse you, to make you look. I make you look up, you know, at some big thing so that the actor can come close. So it's a lot of it is distraction as well as to how we actually get in there. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. Uh, so so a lot of it is kind of setting them up to to walk right into. That's know, right. To look right up what you're you're trying to get them to look at. Yeah. And to distract them. I mean, that's that's the thing. The best scares will come from the actual actors we have. Of course, we have you know, an hundreds of animatronic figures that come at you and air blasts and all that stuff. But really, the actors in the haunted house are the best because they're actually looking at a person. And they're choosing the moment to strike. They're choosing what to do. Uh, they're choosing how far to continue the encounter. So uh, the actors are by far you know, the scariest thing that you will encounter. Yeah. Do they, um, for the individual actors, so you talked about you know, you have sort of the pack or the family that's going through and you have the, what do you call it? The offering or, or the, the yes. sacrificial lamb that goes first that catches yes. most of the, uh, the, the kapow kind of scare things. But then uh, do the actors themselves actually target 
individual, I guess I, I was going to say phenotypes, but individual behaviors of the, the pack sort of mentality. You know, if there's, if you have that one person that's extra hypersensitive in the front, or you have the, uh, you know, the, the classic macho guy in the back that says, I'm not scared of anything, you know, who might actually be the most scared of all. Cause they're trying to in mm-hmm. fact hide that the fact that they're scared, whereas everyone else has just accepted it. But well, are, is there yeah. training to do that or? Absolutely. So the first thing is to acknowledge the fact that there are these different types. And like, for example, I like to say, you know, those big guys, they're worth extra points, right? So you want to get your points. And, and I've tried in the past, like early on. I mean, now it's more of a continuous line. It's harder to determine the group size. Normally, group size is what can fit in a car, logically. Because, but sometimes multiple people groups will come together. There'll be twenty people that are going through. But uh, what I like to do is have them vary their diet. So I will say sometimes go after the scared person. Sometimes go after the big the big guy in front. I I do a thing I call trapdoor spider, which is like I don't care what is coming around that corner. I'm going for it. Sometimes it's my employees. You know, it doesn't matter because <laughs> you've got to just you know you're just going to do different things and and vary it. I also like to go after what I call the fifth wheel. So sometimes they may be like two couples and they're bringing their buddy along. He's like, oh, I'm not getting any of the scares. He's like dragging back, letting all the things strike. And sometimes you got to hold off and get that one in the back that, you know, because the ones up front, the ones in the middle, they're getting a lot of action. The ones in the back don't always get it. So sometimes you got to, and you got to design for that too. You make the place twisty and turny and have lots of things that have to go under so they cannot always see what is happening. Um, some scares are vast. You'll do a thing that scares a whole group. Some are more individual. You know, I can get in a certain spot with clack gloves, these gloves with little metal fingers, and you can get in the right spot in the fog. And you can go, you can actually scare like almost every single person. They're twitching, you know, but sometimes you do a big, you know, wham, where you're hitting everybody and you're trying to get a whole group of people. And then you, then you have to reset, but there's more than just shock scares. You know, there's a lot of other things you can do. People, of course, have phobias, things that they're terrified of, fear of filth, fear of blood, fear of vermin, fear of the unknown. And so phobias can be extremely powerful if a shock scare is not working. That goes into that sense of dread. Uh, Also, you can entertain them. The main goal is to get a reaction. Um, It's kind of like a strip club. When, when, uh, when you go to a strip club, I'm not saying that I go to strip clubs. I mean, I am a, I'm not young, so I've probably been to one or two in my life. But the point is, the strippers are like haunted house actors. Their goal is to get a reaction. And many people at a strip club, what they're trying to do is to not react. And I find it to be a very interesting dynamic that's similar to a haunted house. So, so next up is the, uh, the haunted strip club. Oh, they've tried that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't doubt that. But is so with the phobias. I'm curious because over because you've been in the haunted industry for a long time, or the yeah. haunt type of industry. How has it changed over time? Especially, you know, for for two things like phobias, obviously, kind of change over time based on whatever it is that we're experiencing in the media at the time. But at the same degree, just the the amount of stimulation that's necessary to elicit the same responses. Has it changed over time now that most individuals have been sort of classically conditioned to, you know, always be in front of the screen and having flashing lights and all the the overstimulation? 
It's weird. Um, we all we talk about that all the time, and to be honest with you, I find people just as easy to scare now as they were 25 years ago. Really, um, it's interesting. If anything, sometimes it's easier because a lot of people now are so shielded from the world. They're behind uh, their 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 faces in their phone. You know, they're they're staring at their screen. Um, I think a lot of people don't get out as much. You know, uh, you watch movies from the olden days, you know, you, kids would be out on their bicycles riding around and going out on adventures and going to the drainage ditch and, you know, be getting killed by it, you know, stuff like that. But these days, kids are much more held closer. And I think a lot of uh, younger people are just not used to that level of intensity. Uh the people that are difficult to scare, to me, are the ones who are impaired by chemicals. Primarily, people who are drunk, uh, because their their senses are actually dulled. Um, so, uh-huh. when, when you're when you're when you're pulling yourself in, if you if you drunk a lot or you're just holding it in, it's 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 harder. You can still get a twitch out of these people. You scare someone who's drunk, the twitch comes like three seconds later, <laughs> like a delayed reaction. It's 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 kind of crazy. But uh, it's it's I don't I don't think that it's harder. If anything, I think it's easier. Huh. I didn't think about the fact that most times that uh, people that go to haunted houses often aren't in a sober state. You know, I didn't uh, right. didn't appreciate that. Yeah, that's kind of. I wonder if there's any studies um, of classical conditioning of fear during intoxication. I mean. Not any of that I know of, but it'd be sort of an interesting type. I'm not sure what the relevance would be and how it would get funded, but you know that's the that's the burden that we have to deal with. For, <laughs> well, for I'm funding sure the beer companies would be happy to, uh, <laughs> to cash <laughs> to, fig- to to figure it out. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I because I, I got a kick out of the the classic experiments. I, I told you, right, you know, right before we started about little Albert and little Peter. These were sort of the um, the classic studies on how we develop fear. Um, and you know, with the ones with, with little Albert, uh, it's terrifying because it's, they took this little baby and it would never be funded nowadays for, for ethical reasons. But, um, essentially they they gave it like a, a bunny rabbit and a rat and a dog and these little things that, you know, so the baby doesn't have any fear to any of these things because it's never associated with it before. And, um, then they, they took a big metal pipe. And then after they exposed the the kid to the bat, the bunny or the rat or whatever it was that it was playing with, they would just smack this metal pipe behind the kid because, you know, one of the only innate fears that we have as babies is a sharp sharp sound, you know, because it's just a natural reflex. And then um, so then eventually the, the baby was terrified of anything that had fur on it. And, you know, they extended it and it was kind of, they had the people with masks on and everything trying to make this baby essentially scared of everything. And, uh, unfortunately the, the investigator that ended up doing it towards the end of the trial, um, ended up, he had an affair with someone in his lab. And so they shut the whole thing down and little Albert never got desensitized. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, you know, they never, uh, they never followed up with it. And then, uh, oh, they just sent him on his way, called, <laughs> called out the door. Yeah. Have a, have a, have a fun life after that. And then, uh, little Al or little Peter on the other hand was basically the other thing. They just made him 
unscared of, of essentially everything. Um, but it was mainly just, just focused on the, the startle reflex, which is, you know, the, you know, you talk about having startling as being one of the main attract or one of the main, uh, components that's focused in on being scared. And it's interesting because we use that as one of the primary models for just learning in general. You know, you give a tone and you shock the feet of mice that are in a cage, and then you give a tone and shock the feet, and eventually they learn to associate the tone with a foot shock, even without giving the shock, and you give the tone and then, bam, they have the same exact response, even though there's no, there's no shock anymore. And we can sort of map the different areas in the brain that are involved in that. And, um, you know, so that's why I was, was curious with, with, uh, people that are always now exposed to lights and sounds and everything that, you know, with having headphones in 24 seven, um, theoretically, you know, it would be, would be desensitized through the mechanisms, but a lot of it is playing on these innate fears of, like you said, a predatory prey type of things that are so ingrained uh, phylogenetically or genetically ingrained within us to try to get away from something that's that's coming at us, that it's uh, it creates a, a thing that you can't necessarily desensitize from anymore. I'd be curious, you know, they have, there's some people uh, like uh, the free climber that, that scaled El Cap, you know, um, I think Alex Hamlin or something like that. I don't remember his last name, but anyways, he has a condition, not necessarily a condition, but they, they checked in his brain in the region that encodes for fear and he doesn't have activation like they normally would. And I wonder, you know, if you take someone like that and you put them through the haunted house, whether or not they would just be like stone faced or, or how the different inputs that you have of people sort of scaring them can heighten the, the response enough that now they become sensitive to uh, the stimuli that does come out. Cause it's the other uh, thing that's interesting, I think is with, with human beings is that uh, there's a lot of socialization going on. So, what does and doesn't actually trigger something? A lot of people over emote, okay, because perhaps in their friend group or in their whatever group there is, over emoting is the thing to do. Like you have a large group of 15 year old girls and they're all freaking out, but they're all supporting each other. It's okay to freak out, right? And they're screaming. And so, Maybe they're even screaming more than they're really scared. They're just, they're almost performing a role, if you will. Whereas with a lot of guys, and not all guys, I mean, everyone's different. Every single individual is a little different, but generally speaking, guys are supposed to not be afraid. So they're really trying hard to hold it in. Um, that's so, even if people are terrified or they're uneasy, sometimes it's harder to tell depending on psychologically what they're trying to hold in. That's why I think like a shock scare, like a sudden unexpected thing can almost get anyone done right. Like I know I like to joke, like guys are afraid of two things, falling in holes and having large things fall in their head. Like you grab a ladder and there's a screw gun. You're like, no, because it's going to smash you in the head. So like a thing from above, we have a lot of actors that'll fly down on bungees and zoom over your head. I mean, I find that effective on almost everyone. If someone thinks they're going to fall into a hole or something comes from low, 
like an animal or something, that might affect someone where if, if they see a human actor coming at them that's you know, human size, they're not afraid of them. Like a big dude and there's a little actress coming at him and they see them coming, they're not afraid. You know, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do to me? But uh, something unexpected, I mean, it does have that thing. So that's a whole other element is the fact perhaps with an animal, uh, you're, you're, the animal is not, doesn't have a psychological, uh, societal reason to either mask or to enhance that, uh, that fear experience. Uh, to your comp component, I know there's a lot of thrill seekers and there's people who are literally adrenaline junkies who just crave it. And some people, they want to, you know, they want to snowboard or they want to climb or they want to do all these things that are borderline dangerous to have that, that excitement. And a haunted house is like a very safe way to achieve that. But uh, it would be interesting to see whether someone like that would would have no effect on the haunted house or would they would go, yes, this is feeding me what I crave. I'm actually craving this feeling of of danger or, or if they sort it out enough to where I don't feel this, this is not enough real danger for me. You know, I don't want a hamburger. I need I need filet mignon of fear. So I need to yeah. almost actually die. Uh, but yeah, no, it's an interesting... Uh, interesting thought as to that but i definitely see people over and under there's like there's people that you, you think you can't scare and you they go hmm. that's all you get out of them but you know that is like a thousand words right there you know? yeah because they were they're doing everything they can to do nothing they go hmm. and you're like all right and that's i wonder i wonder why that is in you know especially as a teenage boy uh that we were you know, well, you were involved in the haunt. You've been involved for, for a long time. And so you got immersed in it in early. Um, but I know, you know, when I started, we all sort of have that, that macho experience where we say, I'm not going to get scared. You know, it's, it's more worth it for me to just say, I'm not scared than it is to actually enjoy the experience that it is. And I, I wonder why it is, or do you see like a, a specific age group that tends to do that more than others? You know, it's weird. Uh, there's age and there's culture. You know, there's there's different cultures, I believe, have different ways of dealing with fear or, okay, different levels of what within that culture is, is allowable, right? So then some cultures and some age groups, you will see males that are absolutely freaking out and just going crazy. And then sometimes not. It really depends. And I wouldn't say it's got anything whatsoever to do with race. It's got to do with a specific culture that makes any sense. Um, so, uh, but no, there, there are vast differences in how people take it. Um, generally, uh, younger males before, uh, let's say before puberty, you know, probably before they're, they think girls are going to care if they're afraid, you know, or whatever, they will behave, they will be very scared, you know, uh, without, without any limit, you know, uh, but, it, and also it's who are you going with? You're going with your friends and they're all hyped up and they're all emoting. You're going to do the same thing. If you're going with your father and you don't want to disappoint him, you know, maybe you're going to hold, hold tight. Or if it's a bunch of, you know, people who they're like, oh, we're not afraid. And they're going through and they're, they're literally, they will act out like they'll be jerks sometimes like you didn't scare me you know and they're like they're being extremely they're getting scared and then they that comes out as aggression you know because they're like denying it 
And so they'll deny to the actors, you're, you're not scary. You're not, you're not scaring me. But they're like, the next thing, ah! and they jump, you know, and you're, just, you're like laughing at them. So you, you go like, okay, I didn't scare you now, but I will. It's dark. I'll it's get you moment. next time. Yeah. Next time is going to be like 30 seconds from now when you go around this thing and I'm right there. And now I know exactly what to do. So, Those are the worst when you walk into the room and all of a sudden it worst in the best way. It's like this little, you know, the person that's sort of in a scary makeup costume, but not necessarily too scary, you know, just like a, like a dead nurse or something. They're like, ah, you know, you know. <laughs> and then, then you walk around the corner and then the big one hits you and you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you, you mentioned something earlier that, I, that sparked my interest in that one of the things that you play on with the haunted houses are the universal fears. So you're talking about sort of the, an overarching theme. And I know um, certainly one of your more recent ones was, was parasitic, right? Um, and certainly that is something that terrifies most people when you think of bugs and parasites and anything, anything of that sort of nature, especially now when you talk about viruses, that's for sure. It's got a different meaning to it than it, than it did perhaps prior but do you, do you, you know, how do you uh, go about trying to figure out what it is that is the universal fear? And, you know, because that's something that goes cross-cultural, right? You mentioned the right. different cultural responses. And it's interesting that there are those sort of things like parasites type of things um, where it doesn't matter where necessarily what culture you came from. It's terrifying. And yeah, there's a thing called, you know, body horror, which is, you know, anything to do with. It's like the, like the fear of filth, you know, the fear of being infected, the fear of dirty needles, the fear of if you like we don't go excessively over the top with gore. Um, and I think gore is one thing that people have seen a lot of because you play a lot of video games and you've seen a lot of movies. People certainly have been exposed to more things at a younger age now than they were in the past. But uh, yeah, if you if you see something that's horrific or gory or nasty or something like that in a person, and then you can sort of extrapolate that as happening to me, like uh, we train actors to do different things. The main thing that an actor is in a haunted house is what we call the aggressor, right? That's bam, you know, but there's also the pleader. No, don't go in the room. Please help me. Look what, you know, you're like, you're like, okay, they're like, they're begging me, and if you get a re get them to react, you know, there's a there's different there's different ones. There's the sharer. Oh, lick the brain! Oh, it's very delicious. You know, there's there's you're trying to get that interaction going, and uh, a lot of that can happen. But if you can, for a moment, make somebody uh, feel like you know a sense of camaraderie with the actor, like if the actor. We don't generally have a lot of victim scenes. That's not what we like to do. But if someone is in a victim kind of scene or they're like, help me get out of here or something like that, it, it, it strikes a different kind of nerve. And then sometimes, too, there's that whole thing of, uh, gosh, I didn't do it. Like uh, a famous one in a haunted house or someone behind bars in a jail scene. And you're, you're like, let me out of here. Get me the key. It's right over there. Get that key. And, of course, you just ignore them, right? And then two minutes later, you come around and you're in the cell with them. And then it's like, why didn't you let me out? Okay, I didn't do something I should have done. So you pulled them into the story. Uh, They're no longer just enduring things leaping out at them. Now they made a mistake. Uh, you can play on things like that where you try to get people to 
something's gone wrong. Uh, in some, there's some attractions when they don't have a high level of throughput where you can engage on a more personal level, you can mess with them and things like that, where they've, you know, they've actually made a mistake. They made an error. Sometimes, uh, you could do a plant where there's a person amongst them that appears to be a normal person and they get hauled off by the creatures and something bad happens to them. And they're like, what is going on at this place? And you have a moment where you think something bad has happened. People experiment with that stuff though, but honestly, it can really freak people out and it can cause problems like shocking people. Uh, there's a product that's available. That's a, I guess people put it on their couches. So if your dog jumps up on the couch, it gets shocked and jumps off, you know? So they used to sell it in the haunt industry. So you, they, you're roaming around in the dark and you put your hand on the wall and you get shocked. And yes, it scares you. But people really hate to be shocked. So <laughs> they get mad, you know? So there, there's, there's a thing about, you know, there, there's too much and uh, you know, People like that, the sudden adrenaline of the shock scare. They like being grossed out for a second. They like uh, interacting with actors. But if you take it a little too far and you make them... Did you ever see a show called... What was that? Well, they used to scare people all the time. Um, they have oh, these, like, the fear these kind of prank shows, kind of you know? Yeah, and they'll do a prank show in, like, uh, I remember one... Oh, Scare Tactics. That was it. They had to repossess, like, a, a, a refrigerator or something. And they opened it up and there was a body in it. And they, they really got the guy believing that this was true. And the guy, I mean, the poor guy, he wasn't just scared. He was like, he was going to die, he thought. I mean, it was all the way down to like, I'm actually going to be killed by this guy. And I was watching these things. I'm like, this is not funny anymore. <laughs> this is like profoundly disturbing. And uh, that's not what we do. You know, we want, I literally want people to leave and go, that was I feel excited. That was the best experience I've had. That was amazing. We had so much fun and we can talk about it. Uh, so it's a certain level we're going for. But uh, yeah, those deep, deep feelings of where you actually think you're going to die, you know, and, you know, like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, imagine if you're driving your car and you hit something and you look back and you, you think you hit a person, and you're like, Oh, my life is ruined. What is happening? And you realize it was just a bag of garbage or something. But it's that level. That's that's too much. That's not what we want to do. Yeah. Have you have you ever played around? You know, so some of the haunted houses um, where they actually grab the people that are going through, and you know, they put them in a lockbox or something like that. Oh yes. You always hear the stories of you know. Well, they've been yeah. Divorced. So 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 that was it. Kind of. I don't want to say swept the nation, but. Um, it was a popular thing. I don't know. I want to say like ten years ago, it was like trend. Let's let's say, and uh, there were certain ones, in particular, one out which I don't want to say the name of because you know they caused us all a lot of grief. But uh, they would they would show all these videos of essentially torturing people. You sign all these waivers, and they take you and they put you through all this stuff. And so a lot of people started thinking, oh, this is a good way to go. Like I can wow, if I can just have a couple of people a night, you know, and they pay me a lot of money, it's way easier. I can do it in my house. You know, people were starting to go like, this is the way to get into the industry. And uh, the industry as a whole was like, no, because they're so, they're so, everything about them is bad. And we all distance ourselves from them. I referred to them, you know, when I was doing interviews and things as abduction simulations. This is not a haunted house. You're basically simulated being tortured, abducted on a, on a very, high level and, and really it's so far down the rabbit hole the people who do it and the people who enjoy it are people who are a little bit out of the normal 
trend of what we would expect. But yeah, generally speaking, we, you know, the mainline industry with, you know, kids and families and people screaming and running, that's, that's, we kind of distance ourselves from that because it is, it, and it's so provocative for the media. You know, they're like, oh yeah, do you guys do? No, 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 we don't do that. That's, that's a bit, that's a bit too much. I actually think one of the things that saved this industry was the escape game industry because the escape game industry is a whole different thing, but it was a something that people could get into easy. You know, it's, it's smaller, it's a different kind of experience. Uh, and I think it sort of supplanted that for people who wanted to get in, but didn't have the means to do the full scale event. And I'm glad it came along right when it did, because I think a lot of people are going, yeah, yeah, I could do this little small haunted house and like tie people up and lead them with sticks. It'll be great. It's like, <laughs> no, I can do an escape game. Like, yeah, that's a little better. So I think, if they've all but faded away, but there's always a few out there, you know, that are still lurking and, uh, you know, yeah, we don't like them. <laughs> Just torturing the people that are going yeah. through. But, you yeah. know, Hey, if, Hey, if you, if you like to torture people and they'd like to get tortured and, uh, no laws get broken, Hey, knock yourself out. <laughs> That's your own business. Is there, you know, cause you, cause you do a lot of trade shows and I know, just talking to my sister as well about going to a lot of uh, different haunted trade shows and, uh, you know, showing me the video of you walking with the, the largest shrunken head, you yeah. know, that was pretty funny. Um, but is there, I guess, how collaborative is the haunt industry across the nation? And is there something, you know, like we have for some of the scientific meetings, we get together with everyone in a certain field and, you know, a lot of times we'll create like a, a state of the field kind of review. Is there a similar where you take all the people that are leading the top haunted attractions and you say, okay, here's the state of fear, you know, in our population and here's how we're going to move forward or, or, you know, turn back on what we've done before. Well, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think it's quite as, you know, it's hard to say, like, I'm, I'm sure even in any industry, you know, who's the top, person you know what does that even mean you know it's kind of like yes there's the more well-known ones the one maybe who are the flashier ones or the ones who in your world maybe you had a particular thing of research uh, but yes a lot of the big haunted attractions uh we, we gather at these shows um and we teach a lot of seminars so um that's one of the things i used to do a lot for about 10 years i did a, i designed all the seminars for the biggest trade show and now i consult with it and help them but what you try to do is you try to find the people who are have been in it a long time, who have the best attractions, but you're also always looking for new talent. There's new people coming up with new ideas, new energy, new creativity. You want to find those people. And so uh, they'll present seminars on different topics and you'll attend them and uh, they'll tell you, you know, well, this is how I do it. But of course, there's no one way to do it. A little, you know, science is a little different theoretically, you know you're always learning and you're always changing and maybe there's a couple different approaches, but you're honing it in. Ours is more of like a, of an art form. So it's very taste driven as to how you approach what you do. But yeah, we will go to these big things. And, uh, one of the, of course, everyone goes to the bar and sits around the bar and talks about it and tells their war stories and tells their ideas and stuff like that. But for example, I'm going to do a seminar here in a couple of days with two other haunt owners and it's, uh, 61 scares in 60 minutes so we have a powerpoint and it's like boom 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 we're just presenting one after the other of, of scares that are hopefully a little more inventive things that we've tried you know that are a little bit different so someone who's new to the industry can go oh wow yeah that's cool it means 
jabbering, taking notes, you know, and kind of figure it out. But uh, yeah, we, we do share, but there's also uh, people compete against each other. So there's also a lot of, of competition there too. So that, that comes into play as well. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Cause you know, it, I, th- I feel like the way that we study fear in the lab is so archaic compared to what it actually is. You know, like I said, we, we do like the fear conditioning response, which is just like one aspect of being scared. And we have, we have the, the circuitry mapped out to say, okay, we get activation of the amygdala based on sound and tactile information that's coming in. And that can be modified by the prefrontal cortex to say whether or not you want to actually, uh, you know, respond to or modify the the fear thing. So basically taking a comparison of whether or not the cues that are making you scared match up with the actual risk of fear, which is, you know, based on previous learnings, something like that. And then it'll modify how strong of the activation you get of the amygdala, which is then going to drive how how, how strong of a response you get physiologically to make your heart rate go up, your blood pressure change to make your muscles tense, dilate your eyes, you know, all those sorts of things. And so it's, it's pretty much like, that's the science of it. Like we have fear figured out, but it's, you know, it's never the case when you hear how expansive of a thing it is to sort of come up with these constant attractions that are always scaring different people at different mm-hmm. times over time. And especially the, the vastness. I, I, will be first to admit that I underestimated the vastness. I think I said it earlier, but I underestimated how large the network of haunt, the haunt industry is. I mean, it's gigantic. Yeah. There's thousands and thousands of haunted attractions at this trade show. There's going to be in excess of 10,000 attendees, um, hundreds and hundreds of vendors. But currently now the show's gotten so big, it, it, we've combined, uh, immersive entertainment which includes escape games and they've also expanded it to christmas because there's bleed over because there's different things that you're trying to create like the it's all about emotion really you know um you know and it's about the culture and it's about uh you know our traditions as human beings you know um around the time of fall you know it's about it's about death it's about rebirth it's about the cycles of life you know, Christmas is a celebration. There's all these different things. And, it, you know, the float of the year, the customs of, of cultures and traditions. That's why, you know, why is it that Halloween is when it is and what it is? Uh, so, but like at Christmas, now you're, you're trying to get this whole other sense, a sense of wonder, a sense of happiness, a sense of family, you know, where, you know, the darker side happens, you know, in the fall, the traditional time of, of you know, of honoring the dead of passing of the spirit world. So there's all, but all these things kind of, you know, they come together and, uh, and like these immersive experiences, you know, uh, escape games or other sorts of things, people are looking for that. And now it's interesting. We're in the experience economy. So more and more people are, don't want as much stuff, but they want to have experiences. Uh, People, younger people now are more likely to spend money on experiences than they are on just objects. So, uh, although Amazon would beg to differ, but uh, it's interesting. I mean, there there is a shift in that and people want these experiences. And also, bizarrely, with social media, people crave, sometimes they don't know people want to have experiences. They want the illusion. They will come to do a thing just to take a picture. 
So photo ops are a big deal. People want to go and pose with the monster. And once they've done that act, they're ready to continue on to the next thing. It's, it's unusual. They almost have these whole other personas that they're pushing forward onto social media, which is a whole other thing that is happening. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of complexities that, that go on for sure and, and as to what people want. But that's what you try to do. You try to, you know, entertain them, uh, give them ample opportunity. You want your actors to have fun scaring people. You want people to enjoy being scared and to being entertained and, and having fun. And like some people, it, you know, you see people shut down. I mean, a lot of times, you know, people will just pass out. It happens. Uh, I am baffled personally by how people will hurl their bodies away from you in, you know, crazy. I mean, they will leap backwards and knock people down and fall into a pile on the ground. And you're like, how are you not injured? I understand <laughs> that it would break my back. I mean, they will just, they, and then they will run. They will run from you. It's like, uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, scaring people and they'll fall on the ground and, and you're like, oh, and you reach out your hand to pick them up and they will crawl away from you. It's like, okay, I get that I surprise you, but you actually think I'm a monster? Why are you crawling? Clearly I'm a human being. Why are you? Uh, it, it's fascinating what uh, what people will do when they're in that experience. But yes, we do have that happen. People will, uh, you know, they will, they'll get panic attacks. That's That's definitely a thing. Uh, strangely, the, uh, strangely, the... actors do too because uh, sometimes just the the haunt experience is overwhelming for a lot of people, you know, and you know people need to kind of relax for a minute. Oh yeah, I can't even imagine trying to go to sleep after being an actor of a, a haunted house that night. <laughs> but uh, as a reincarnation of uh, there was a group, a classic psychology uh, experimental group, the Jumping Frenchmen of Maine. They hmm. had a genetic abnormality. Uh, they were uh, a group of lumberjacks. Um, that were up in, in Maine and they had a genetic abnormality that they had a heightened uh, startle response. And so anytime that there was any sort of small stimuli, they would, so the, they call them the jumping Frenchman of Maine because if something hit, you could see all of them at the same time jump. It was really, really odd. It's like the fainting goats. <laughs> yeah. It's like the human version of the fainting goats. Mm, wow. That's, 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 it, 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 it's, it's really, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, and like I said, I, I know several people who are looking into it. I have a book sitting on my desk that I haven't looked at yet, but it's, it's more about, um, you know, why do people seek out daredevil type sports, you know, but it's a similar, it's kind of a similar thing, which I was going to read because, you know, when you're creating an event or you're marketing to people, it's good to know what, what brings them there. What are they looking for? And uh, it's just really all over the map. And it's I, in particular interest to me, I interview everyone who comes to work at the Haunted House along with uh, our casting director and several other people. And so I like talking like, why are you here? You know, what what brought you here? And then I'm always trying to figure it out. Like, are you a haunt person, like to scare people? Do you just love Halloween? You know, do you do Rocky Horror? Are you into LARPing where you like to be a different character? Are you an actor? And they're, they come at it from different angles. But, uh, you know, they're just a, an interesting bunch of, of these folks. And you're always trying to get down to it. Like, you know, yeah, okay. I know you can scare people, jump and scream and all that, but I just want to know who they are and why are they here? Because I just find it to be fascinating. What, what pulls them into this? Yeah. I had a, a couple other questions I want to ask. I don't want to keep you here forever. Um, but uh, the, 
the film industry. So you, so you've had some intertwinings with having film, having things filmed at your haunted houses and creating props for different horror films. And obviously you've been in the film industry of, of horror yourself is the ability to, to create uh, an experience that scares someone to an enjoyable level. Uh, how is it different when you have a still frame or not necessarily a still frame, but when you have a, a film type of experience where there's nothing that can actually jump out at you other than, you know, like a 3d experience versus that whole immersive thing. And is it easier or harder in one or the other to make someone scared? It, it's interesting. Um, I think, you know, they're similar, but different. I think what happens when you're watching a horror movie is that you, you have to relate to the character and the story that is in the experience. So you, you kind of detach yourself from uh, what's going on and you be kind of be, become that person. And, you know, when you're playing a video game, which is a whole other experience, you have the power to, to you can control what is happening. But when you're in the horror movie, the terrifying part is you cannot control it as you're sort of imprinting on this person this avatar that's going through the experience and they're going into that dark room. You're like, don't do it, you know, you, but you can't stop them. So I think uh, it really, and in a movie that's well done, they can really ratchet everything perfectly, every bit of light, because you're absolutely controlling what is happening. Now in the haunted house or in a video game, you control less than a movie because they have the option to run away or look different directions or look up or do different things. In a haunted house, literally almost anything can happen. It's very hard to control every bit. You don't know where they're going to be looking. You don't know what other people are going to be around them, who they're with, how they're responding. Um, I think it's one of the best things about the haunted house is when they, when they exit, many people have absolutely different experiences. They didn't even see the same stuff because they were looking in different directions or they were distracted or one got scared by this thing and one got scared by that thing. And it, it, it's, it's vastly different, but, uh, um, I don't know. It's, it's probably, but then again, you're in the environment when you're in a movie, you're watching a movie or you're playing a video game in a video game. You can be a hyperly powerful character, right? You can be a scarier than the monsters. In some cases, you got a massive gun. You're just killing everything. You're powerful. Okay. Uh, but when you're in the haunted house, you are you. I mean, if you're a nine-year-old boy who normally has a giant gun and doom and is killing demons, you're a nine-year-old boy. So, you know, and you're in it. Um, a lot of people have never been in a haunted house before. So it can be, it's, it can be very scary because you really don't know what is going to happen and you're in it. And that's the thing, too. We talk about virtual reality. I think the haunted house, it is, it's not reality. It is a virtual sort of reality. It's, it's more like hyper-reality, right? So, uh, you, you, you know, this place is designed to get on your nerves, the sounds, the darkness, the floors, all the creatures coming at you. So, uh, it, it is a, it's a very different experience though, because it's 360 and plus there's smells and there's everything. And so, uh, there's a, there's a large level of chaos that goes on in a haunted house. We're in a movie. It's a much more cult of it's, it's curated down to the, every detail because they have complete control of you the only thing they don't have control of is who you are and how you take it but 
yeah, I think I would say a haunted house is definitely much more chaotic than a movie, uh, as far as the experience. Yeah. Is there, um, does that play on, you know, you're talking about getting sort of sucked into the void of, you know, you have no control, but the movie's sort of pushing you in there. Does that play on, um, kind of those, I don't want to say roller coaster type of haunt experiences, but where you, you know, you're in a fixed thing, almost like a, a Disneyland a ride. Dark ride. Yeah. Yeah. A dark ride. Have you ever played around with, with those at the netherworld? Well, you know, it's, it's always, you know, you always are frustrated as a haunt owner to try to control what the people are doing because, you know, some people will run, some people will go very slow and, uh, we're more and more creating a 360 environment and it's, it's difficult to make everything look good, you know? Um, but, uh, in a dark ride, you can just point them. It's more like a movie. You're pointing them exactly at what they're going to next, you know, and it's much more controlled. Also, you can physically move them at the rate you want. You know, you can drop them down. You can, you can do all these different things with their equilibrium. We're in a haunted attraction. They're walking, you know, and, or running and they're, they're under control. So a dark ride is definitely, you know, would be a more of a sense of control. Um, I mean, we also always just talk about like, Oh, we should put in conveyor belts to move people through. But, uh, we do different things. We develop, like we have a thing called ropers and ropers are actors with ropes. What they do is like, if you're moving too slow and, and you're, you're afraid or, you just want to look stuff. They bump you. Like, hey, you grab this rope, and you okay, and you grab it, and then they just start pulling you, and they just pull you. It's a, they like move you along. You know, it's like it's the playing sheep on dogs. Them. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, and they're like, ah, and they get out there like he pulled me through the whole haunt. And I'm like, well, did you let go of the rope? No. Okay, well, <laughs> sorry, you know, but, uh, but 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 yeah, you, it, it's it's it would be nice to be able to control people you know, with a device, but that's a whole other thing. I mean, in the level of expense, there are people who've tried to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously it's just a very, it, and also it, the level of danger and the level of technology, it's a whole other animal that, uh, more suited for something that's year round, you know, that can afford that level of stuff, but then can't afford that level of staffing because staff, you know, labor is very expensive. But labor for a short period of time is tolerable as long as you have, of course, a lot of people going through. So, yeah, it's, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And do you think, um, so I guess uh, my question I was going to ask about the wild hypothesis, because we usually throw out some wild hypotheses on things here. And um, now that you're now that we're seeing some of the more perhaps implementable brain machine interface type of systems like uh, Neuralink, for example, you know, is a sort of a, right. a baseline thing where you can get in and you can actually stimulate areas of the brain and record from them. Or, you know, like we do it all the time where we inject a virus that allows us to control certain areas of the brain with light. You know, we can turn the brain regions on or off with optogenetics. And, you know, now some of the technologies are coming out where we can give a virus that goes in and it infects a certain targeted region of the brain. Let's say one, you know, the amygdala system that's responsible for fear. And you can give a UV light that's able to pass through tissue and bone and everything so that you don't actually have to stick a rod down into the brain. And you can get activation of those brain regions without having any invasive procedures other than injecting with a, a 
otherwise benign virus that just, you know, it inserts itself onto that brain region and it's just activated by light and nothing else. And so, you know, do you think perhaps 50 years, hundred years down the road, we might get to an advanced state where, and, you know, we create such an immersive experience that you can, you know, have a preloaded viral type of approach or whatever it might be that targets the actual circuitry of fear have these uv lights that you can't see you know they have no other function other than just activating the fear circuitry within the brain and it just sort of heightens the fear of you know even if someone wanted to play that tough guy that's not that's not scared it doesn't matter you can override it completely i'm sure someone will try it (laughs) uh i mean what what what's going on with technology right now is is so unbelievable. I mean, like we're seeing all this AI artwork and stuff, you know. And so, what is reality anyway? I mean, it's all you know, machine. I, I, all I follow. I, yeah, I love like all this. Uh, I'm like a forty, and I'm I'm intrigued by uh, you know ghosts and Bigfoot and creatures like that. I'm not necessarily a believer. You know, I'm a I'm intrigued by it, but I'm a, a bit of a skeptic. But now on my uh, I. I'm watching all these Bigfoot videos constantly. I'm like, man, I mean, they, they can do things with Nicolas Cage robbing a liquor store now with, with face swap. We're not going to know what is real in like five minutes. Yeah. And, you know, also think about this. You strap yourself into a VR thing and we have drone technology. You could be anywhere in the world experiencing anything in a couple of years. And once we get the signals and the batteries worked out, you can be anywhere and experience it, it. It's just, it's just nuts. And we have digital printers. Uh, AI can make anything and then we could print it and make it. It's crazy. So what you're saying to me sounds absolutely possible and it, it will happen in 50 years, you know, in 10 years, you know, uh, the thing is for what you're talking about um, for entertainment I think that's more the kind of thing that would be used for more uh, unsavory activities. You want to mess with somebody or you want to do, you know, if there was, I could see that kind of stuff being used in uh, you know, shady sorts of ways, but. Uh, it's biological warfare, yeah. Certainly, if, if people wanted to pay for an experience like that, they would. And I think there's there's no top end what certain people will try to do, you know to get the ultimate whatever, you know, but that's such a limited audience. Um, currently, like I said, for haunted attractions, um, you know, most people, they, they go in and they're looking for what they want out of it. And uh, I guess you could have a person who's like, I really want the ultimate scare. I really want to be scared and I don't get scared. I've done it so much. I'm jaded. And I suppose that type of person could enjoy a thing like that, but that's the kind of person that wants to get on that, that slingshot thing that shoots you up in the air, you know, or, <laughs> you know, they've other. done all that, that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, personally, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I won't get on that slingshot. No way. Too much. No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm past those. those <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, people will try that. It, it's, I've never heard of that. You're injecting people with viruses that will allow, that, yeah, I mean, crazy. it's not it's not made for humans yet, but we do it in mice all the time. I mean, it's very standard protocol. You just inject, you wait two weeks, and then you go in and you can stimulate, no problem. And we can make them, we can make them addicted to cocaine without cocaine, 
you know, because we just activate the regions of the brain. We can make them afraid of a hawk, even though there's no hawk present. You know, you can warp reality very, very easily. We can implant memories, we can transplant memories, you know, these sort of things. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of wild. You are scaring me. (laughs) What are you doing? Why are you doing this? We're making the real life zombies. Yeah. So you get, but why, why? uh, (laughs) In the name of science. Yeah, that's, that's right. We yeah. put the name of science in front of everything and we, we get a free pass, you know, that's how it works. But in the name of commerce, we will scare you. <laughs> but speaking of science, I wanted to ask Dr. Speculo. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> what was, what was the, uh, the backstory with, with him quickly and then, uh, Oh, okay. okay. So, uh, I've, I've led many lives, but, uh, one of them, uh, I used to be in a medieval recreation organization called the Society for Creative Anachronism. Essentially, like anything, it's a drinking club. But uh, no, you get together on the weekends with uh, like-minded individuals, and we wear armor and take medieval weapons and bash <laughs> each other's brains in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no, it wasn't it. quite like that. It was, it was cool, you know, with chivalry, and we, we you know, we recreate uh, elements of the Middle Ages. It was lots of fun. So I got very much into uh, other elements of that, puppetry, jestery, also uh, doing plays. And there's a Commedia character who's the quack doctor that's in Commedia, you know, kind of a a sort of theater of the time. And uh, so I wrote a bunch of plays, and one of them was this Dr. Speculo. And I was named after spectacles, by the way, not any uh, (laughs) medical instrument that you might be thinking of. But anyway... uh, so oh. this was <laughs> didn't even this was a character that. I came up with, and I I portrayed in these plays who was a quack doctor, and I kind of had he had like a Peter Laurie kind of Ren from Ren and Stimpy kind of voice, and uh, this twisted freaky character. And so uh, working at the television station, I had the opportunity to do a late night horror show host. So I just like I've already created this character. Let me do that instead of being a medieval one. I got the lab coat and did all that. There's you know there's a vast history of horror show hosts. Uh, it's a tradition that started uh, when they released all the universal films, um, gosh, back in the 50s, you know, to the TV stations, and they had a hosted format. So it's been a tradition. It's been a long, a long time. But yeah, it wasn't in the 50s when I did this. I'm not that old. It was in the 90s, which is a long time ago now. But anyway, uh, that's where the character came from. And so he was just a quack doctor kind of character, and he would always get the monster of the movie and try to heal him you know, whatever his problem was, because the monster always, oh, it's a werewolf, it needs to be cured, whatever. So I ended up always killing the monster because I was, you know, not good at my job, apparently. <laughs> but uh, it's a great Haunted Owls character. I don't play it very often. Um, but uh, just a fun character, because uh, it's one that can you do a lot of high dialogue, you can be comedic, but you can still scare people. So uh, that's, that's another thing. Monster like, well, like a sharer. A sharer, like a, a witch, can cast a spell. A doctor can you i remember i used to go around with a tin of altoids and try to get people to eat them and then they would eat one you know and i would be like See what your kid just did it was gonna been anything what is wrong with you people you know <laughs> but yeah there's different ways to interact with people like that you know and that that's that's just one of them but no was a really fun character and he was a your quack doctor based in comedia that's funny and so uh yeah the quack monster doctor that's handing out altoids <laughs> so where do you uh where do you see the the haunt industry going from here sort of uh you know to bring it forward and and where in the next well besides injecting people with viruses and uh, yes. using uv well, lights to activate them 
I can say that, uh, so I just uh, did a call um, with uh, TJ Manorino, who's the head of, he's one, one of the main people with Universal Halloween Horror Nights, and, uh, and with Chris Stafford, who's the head of 13th Floor that has like 1,800 houses around the country. And we're doing a panel about emerging trends in the industry, but we kind of did like a mock-up. We just got on the phone and kind of talked about everything. And what I got out of that call was what I knew, which is this industry is extremely healthy. This industry is growing and this industry is doing great. So I think there's a converging uh, thing between um, people. They enjoy the Halloween season. People are, you know, they enjoy the, the portions of the year. Uh, we're in the experience economy. People want to pay for experiences. We also have the added thing where people want to create that, a social experience and show where they've been places on their phone. So people want to go out and do stuff and not just to do stuff, but also to show that they went there, you know, to, to build their persona. So there's a lot going on that is compelling people to go out now. Also, of course we have after COVID, there's a massive, uh, people are pushing outward. They were held in so long and now they want to go out and, and live, have experiences. I've been talking to people in the tech sector and, you know, there's a lot of tech jobs that are starting to fail because all these uh, a lot of these platforms built up because people were behind their screens and now people are actually wanting to get out. So live entertainment, um, seasonal experiences, they're growing. I mean, you see everywhere the, the, the Project Van Gogh on the walls, you know, and that's a thing. They have these weird uh, sort of interactive um, uh, exploratory things like Meow Wolf where people just go and experience these strange art installations. Uh, live music is on the comeback. So people want to get out and do stuff, and people want to go out and have excitement, and people want to go out and create memories with their friends and family. And the haunted house industry is at the crossroads of many of these things. And so right now, we're, doing, we're healthy. Also, if we have an economic downturn, uh, it tends to help haunted houses are local. So people start doing the staycation. I can't afford to travel to go to this event, but I will do things that are local. Haunted houses uh, are, are there. So I think we're in really good shape. Um, as long as nothing horrible happens at a haunted house <laughs> that drives people away. But ironically, I'll tell you one little story before, you know, I know we're dragging on, but years ago I worked at the TV station and uh, they came out to cover, cover the uh, haunted house and, um, so they, they do the, they do this setup and all this stuff and they, and she's doing the, the lead and she goes, but our haunted house is too scary. And I'm like, what's this story about? Because, you know, I was working there, but I was just my night off, right? I was working at the haunted house. And so at the end she comes back, she's like, yeah, there were some kids screaming. It was really crazy. It was terrible. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what's going on here? So the next day I went, I pulled the tape, watched it. And a story had come over the wire. You know, a lot of times stations, UPI, AP, will put out a basic story and people, oh, that's an idea. Let's do that locally. And they had said our haunted house is too scary. Is it becoming an adult holiday? Which it has. Halloween used to be just for kids and trick-or-treating. Now it's become a young adult holiday with parties and haunted houses, more so. But so the gist of this was almost like a hit piece. This haunted house is so scary. Kids are crying. Kids are running out terrified. So I was kind of mad. I'm like, what, 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 what hatchy job is this? The next night, we had like our best year, best night ever. Just boomed everywhere. Because people wanted that fear. So that's the thing. Even if something scary happens, 
that sense of danger. That's some. That's what you're a going sense for. of danger in a fate, in a safe environment is like a perfect thing. That's what a what a theme park is like, you know. And people love that stuff. So I think we're good. And I think that's what. And I think you know, going through some of the the psychology experiments on it, which are very limited, and comparing it to the mouse studies, you know, that we've done personally, I think it's it's that it's that understanding that I am still in a safe environment. I'm not going to be necessarily hurt. I'm going to be scared. But nothing should, unless I trip and break my ankle or something like that, nothing is actually going to kill me in here. You know, maybe. Some people like Maybe. Yeah. The chance is never zero. <laughs> the chance is never zero. And there's always the person that's going to scream like it is. Very high right. chance. But maybe that's the case. But, um, well, that's great. And then and it's, uh, it's been a fun, uh, fun talk about uh, horror and fear. And I wish the, uh, the science was more expansive on fear. But... The whole haunt industry is just a fascinating one in general. And so uh, I'm glad that you were able to to come on and talk to us. And No, this is fun. I love talking about spooky stuff. And it's always interesting, too, to learn about the other side of it because, you know, um, I need, need to look up some of these studies because I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Like I said, we had a guy out who was studying that stuff. And there's a few people that are. And, um, it, you know, it, it, it's intriguing because um, we're all – Creatures made of meat, and we all, uh, you know, we, we behave like we're just a couple steps away from animals, and we try to hide it. But when, to, when, uh, when you think you're going to die, you know, you're going to you're going to do what an animal would do. <laughs> start the uh, the Haunt Research Institute. You'll mm-hmm. have uh, you'll have applications sure. just flowing out. The amount of people yep. that are going to want to work at that be like the new uh, the applications for DARPA. You know, yes. How can I exactly? How can I just do the most fun experimental things possible yes. as a scientist? So, with that, did you have any plugs that you wanted to put for Netherworld or your haunt attractions? Um, sure. If anyone is interested in what we do, um, uh, you can look us up. We're Netherworld Haunted House. We're located in Atlanta, Georgia. We're open seasonally with the haunted attraction, and of course, year-round we have our escape games. And they're all a little scary. So, uh, you know, they have, they're, they're, they're intense. We have Sasquatch, Nosferatu, Haunted, and Terror on Tiki Island. So uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of something for everybody. And we've got an even scarier one on the way. But uh, come check out the games if you're in Atlanta. And otherwise, you know, uh, you can watch people screaming. You can see people screaming. You can go to our YouTube and we have videos, endless videos of people running and screaming and falling on the ground. So if you'd like to see that, check it out. That's the place to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks for coming to another episode of The Neural Network, www.theneuronetwork.org. Uh, we got shows on Apple and on Spotify and any other podcast player that you might have. Although if you're listening to this episode, then you've already found it. So share with your friends, rate the show um and give us a review uh for those of uh, those of you that are listening so with that thank you <laughs> <laughs>